Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. We're in the Rick and Bubba Studios. We're here uh, practically every Wednesday. Uh, and um, do, do you need something, Jerry? Uh, there's, there's, there's Jerry. Have, th- thank you, Jerry. Your, your hair looks fantastic today. Uh, but anyway, so... So thank you uh, for being with us for the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, We're here almost every Wednesday. We're uh, live on this uh, YouTube channel. If you're watching this live uh, at noon Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern, it gets archived. And then we give you two options. It can be video, which is right here on the YouTube channel, or you can get the audio only, and that is available on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. And you can get some past uh, audio archives by going to BurgessMinistries.com. Click on Listen, and we'll walk back through many years of Bible studies, different ones that we've done. Uh, you can also uh, find archives of the video versions of a lot of our Bible studies right here on the YouTube channel. Just click on the playlist, and you'll see uh, the, the men's uh, Bible study, Wednesday Bible study, and you can go there for the archives. So let's talk a little bit about opportunities for you to get out uh, and actually be in a service. Um, now, first of all, let's, let's talk the, on this Wednesday Bible study. The foundation is a men's Bible study, but there's a lot of ladies that, uh, that get this every week. So if you want to go see my wife speak, uh, Sherry, uh, Sherry will be September the 12th at, at uh, First Baptist Leeds, Alabama. It's a ladies' night, and she'll be uh, providing the message that night. And if you'd like to go meet Sherry and hear a great message from her, uh, then you go to Leeds, Alabama. That's right outside of Birmingham uh, on Sunday night. Also on Sunday night, now to what's going on with themanchurch.com, uh, I'll be at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. They're kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. Man Church went international today. We just had, uh, we had a church in Germany uh, get the discipleship strategy, and I'm trying to figure out how to get there and back. Still be at work tomorrow, but anyway, well, that'll be, uh, but but excited about that. It's uh, it's 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 going everywhere these days, so uh, we are excited. Coming up on uh, Monday, uh, I will be at uh, the Outer uh, Legacy Outfitters Fishers of Men Banquet in Waco, Texas. Uh, so excited to be there. Never have spoken Waco before. Uh, this is uh, the Legacy Outfitters. They're they're a great group of men. Been doing men's ministry for a lot of years, and this is their one of their big banquets. Uh, and I'm excited to be there and be the speaker for that. So also on the 16th, I'll be in Fairhope, Alabama. That's a man church kicking off the men's discipleship strategy at First Baptist Church Fairhope. Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba Show and themanchurch.com, he'll be speaking. Uh, he'll be out uh, uh, in Opelika, Alabama. They're on the second year. They've, they've, they've done uh, one and a half curriculums. So this is their second year, uh, and this is their man church. And Helmsy will be their speaker on September 23rd. Also on the 23rd, I'll be in Birmingham, Alabama at Lakeside Baptist Church. They'll be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. And then on the 26th of Florida, it's a men's event. I'll be in Chipley, Florida. Now, if you want to know where some other guys are speaking, go to themanchurch.com. Click on events. We got Andy Blanks. Uh, He'll be doing a man church at Landmark Church in Montgomery on the 15th. Uh, We'll have Todd Jones uh, speaking at Winfield Baptist Church on September the 19th. Uh, uh, and then you'll have, um, uh, we've got uh, Helmsy again. I told you about that on the 23rd. I've already mentioned that one. Brian Gunn on October the 10th uh, will be there at Crossroads Church in Warrior, Alabama. These are all churches that are either starting the men's discipleship strategy and the middle of the men's discipleship strategy uh, at different uh, uh, parts uh, of the strategy. It's 40 weeks worth of curriculum, and then there's normally anywhere from two to four gatherings of the men during the 40 weeks of curriculum. Uh, we have two full 40-week curriculums available. We even have uh, introduced now because of the limitations on, on me being able to be uh, all the places that I would like to be. Uh, but we actually now have a video message and a man church kickoff package that has me doing the kickoff message and what our strategy is all about uh, on video. Uh, it also comes with a countdown clock. It comes with uh, some stuff you can use to promote kicking it off. All that is uh, called the Man Church Kickoff Package. So if you're interested in that, meaning I'd like to get the curriculum, uh, but I, want, I don't want to start it till maybe Rick can come kick it off, well, now you don't have to wait on me. Uh, you've got that, and you can set it up, and you can kick it off, uh, you know, based on, because uh, sometimes based on availability, I may not be able to get to, to your church for, you know, a year or two. So if you'd like to go ahead and have that kickoff message provided by me, we now offer that through modern technology. It's called the Man Church Kickoff Package, and you can find that at themanchurch.com. Add that to your curriculum. You're ready to go. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer. We are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. Lord, thank you for today. 
Uh, thank you for the men that are here in the room, and thank you for the men and women who are watching and, and listening uh, either live uh, or in the archive. I pray today, Lord, that you refine us through, through today's message. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here, here's Paul writing to this church at Corinth. Uh, we've talked about some of the problems that have been going on, uh, and Paul has been talking, and uh, what we've already studied uh, in this series, Paul has been talking about what the church should look like. This is how church should be done. We really doubled that down, uh, doubled down with that last week. Well, today in chapter four, he's going to talk more about um, what a minister should look like. So, so, so last week and, and the week before, he was talking about things he was seeing in this church at Corinth that, that concerned him. You remember the, uh, John Phillips in his uh, commentary talked about the, the church is kind of like a, a ship. It's designed to float in the world, uh, and it does just fine unless you start having a leak and the world starts coming into the ship, and then that's when the, that's when the, the, the church sinks. Well, he's looking at Corinth, and he sees the world is now coming in to this church body, and, and Paul's pointing this out. So he talked about what the church should look like, and now he's going to get real specific because this whole thing about they're starting factions, and of course we don't do that, uh, starting factions where I prefer you know Apollos, I, per, I prefer Peter, I prefer Paul. Uh, you know, we, we've even got theology that's based on human beings' names. Should that concern us at all? I, I think those very human beings, those great men of God, if they knew that we took theology and named it after them, I think they'd come back and say, please don't do that. Uh, because this is exactly what, uh, what Paul was warning against about us focusing on the, on, on the vessel and, and, and not focusing on the provider. Uh, and so uh, we're going to talk about that. He says, watch out uh, when you're looking uh, at people that are parading around saying they're ministers of the gospel. And, but but he, he's going to give us a very important balance. And let's face it, as, as human beings, and especially this human being right here, we have an awful time balancing things properly. We always seem to swing too far one way or too far another. And in this case, what he's saying is don't be apathetic and never question a minister, but also don't be hypercritical and be critical of every little thing. Uh, so, so he's trying to teach us how to find that, uh, that balance. And, and, and so Paul is going to start out and he's going to say, I'm going to give you three characteristics of what you should be looking for uh, in, in the true minister of Christ. So let's look at the first six verses, and, and he'll start these characteristics. Here, here we go. Here's what Paul said. He said, this is how one should regard us. He's talking about the, the ministers of the gospel. He's talking about himself. He said, here's how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards, and I would underline that if you have your Bible that you can underline, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. I'd underline that. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, verse 4, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not there, thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation, uh, you know, from God. Remember, it's from God, not man. Six, I have applied all these things that he just mentioned, which we're going to walk through, to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So, so here, here's what Paul is saying. He said, first of all, the word minister, and I didn't know this, and uh, I was looking at commentaries from uh, Warren uh, Waresby and also John Phillips, and, and, um, and one of the things that both of them make clear, and Matthew Henry's also provides great commentary, the word minister really, if you translated it the way that it's being used here in, in this Greek, is you know Paul had had traveled all over and and he he had been involved in and in, in sitting there and and at these cities looking out on all these ports and watching these ships and he had seen how you have the the captain of the ship and you you, you have the people that are in charge 
But underneath these giant ships, which we usually had were slaves, and those slaves would what? They'd be under rowers underneath it. They're the ones that's making it go. This is the word he's using. He's saying, look, you may be looking at, at, at the church, but I want you to know all we are, and so many times we, we miss this, when people go into ministry, they begin to act like that they should be held in, in some higher regard by human beings as if they are above the fray, when really what, what Paul is saying, what we should be is the lead servants. And he says, all we are is the ones who get under the ship and we row. He said, we're, we're not the captain of the ship. Uh, we're the ones who row under the ship, meaning all we're doing is representing God. And if we ever think that there's anything, any, any, if we're pointing to self and we're pointing to our gifts and pointing to our talents and not pointing you to God, then that's something that you should look for. And if you don't see us pointing you to God, if you don't see the attitude of a servant, that's a red flag on anybody claiming to be a minister. And so he says, um, so, so the question isn't whether Paul uh, you know, or Apollos, if Paul was highly educated, and some of the commentaries, it's really surprised me that Paul was really better known for his writing than he was even his speaking. That was surprising to me. I've always pictured Paul as a gifted speaker. But commentators say from you know Josephus and some of the things that they knew about this person, Paul, who really did exist, by the way, uh, that he was a great writer. He was highly educated to the level of a rabbi, but his, his communication skills orally were mediocre. Uh, but Apollos was the other end of the spectrum. He was the speaker's speaker. Eloquent, wonderful, everybody liked to hear him. Now, notice something here that I found very, very interesting. That Remember, Paul has been mentioning Apollos himself and Peter. He doesn't hear. He doesn't hear. Suddenly, Peter's not being mentioned. And, uh, and you know, because he says, uh, verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos, meaning I have looked and held that took this standard, and I've laid it against Apollos. I've laid it against myself. But now when he's about to be critical, he doesn't mention Peter. And, and it's very, very interesting to look at that. First of all, we know that Peter was a gigantic celebrity. Uh, he was the, the original 12. Then he was the top three of the 12. He was the leader of the 12. And, but that's not the reason. At first, I thought that's what it was. It's, you know how sometimes you just go, don't go there, know the room? That really wasn't what it, what it was about, is they knew that he and Peter actually had a run-in. Do you remember this? Uh, when Paul called out Peter, because Peter was basically, what we would say, was, being a, was, was holding on to some bigotry the way he felt about Gentiles. And so Paul calls him out in front of everybody. And so really what commentators think is Paul's being wise right now, and he's not going to go there and say anything negative about Peter because he doesn't want people to think he's got some axe to grind with Peter because he had to hold Peter accountable and they had kind of a run-in uh, there uh, publicly. There, there's nothing wrong with their relationship, but he knows that run-in is there and that people remember that. So he, he's not going to talk about that. He's just going to say, let, let me just kind of use the example of being Apollos right now. I'm more comfortable with that. He's just being smart. I've, I've been places before where I used an example, and based on the room, I could have come up with a better example. Uh, but, but anyway, so uh, by the way, if you're going to say something critical about Coach Bear Bryant, don't do that in Tuscaloosa. So, uh, so anyway, um, we, uh, and that, that was kind of the, the way uh, Paul is going here. Now I think I'll just leave Cephas out on this one. Uh, but anyway, so, so he's also saying this. The question isn't whether Paul or Apollos or anybody else uh, that, that they have managed everything perfectly. It isn't for us to decide. Really, what he's saying is, I tell you who's going to judge us. We are going to be judged not by you. We're going to be judged by God himself. And you know what? He said, a good steward, and I love this, a good steward or a good minister always has that at the back of his mind. Uh, he said, watch, he said, to be a good steward and to be a good minister, then we live our lives knowing that we, you hear this all the time now, don't you? Don't judge. Don't judge me. Oh, I hate that you're judging me. You sound like you're judging me. You know what Paul said? Let me tell you what a minister needs to know. You're being judged constantly by God. 
Everything you're doing, God is looking going, you know, is God approve of that? Does God approve of that? Because he's the ultimate judge. And he says, so uh, you, you need to know that there's, uh, that there's God's judgment. And he said, and God's judgment is the one that's going to be right. And he's also talking ahead. If you look over here in, um, in uh, verse, um, verse 5, he is really talking about there's going to come a time. Remember we talked about the la- this last week, the, the, the judgment seat. He said, there's going to be a time, even those of us that are redeemed, even those of us who are going to spend eternity with Christ in the presence of God, we're still going to have a time. We're going to stand before that judgment seat, and the way we've handled this is going to be judged. And he says, we know that day is coming. So he goes back to this. He says, so I do want you to understand this. God's judgment is what I'm concerned about. He says, i tell you what I'm not as concerned about is man's judgment. Now, now what he's saying is, I'm not saying that it's not important and it's not saying that I can't listen to what you have to say. He said, it is important how you see me, but it's not of the utmost importance. Because what I'm going to do, and, and I do this every day in email, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this criticism and I'm going to say, does God agree with this criticism? And if God agrees with it, then I'm, I'm thankful for this criticism from this person because this person is being used by God to hold me accountable, so I embrace that. But if I look and I see a human being being petty and I think what they're actually saying doesn't line up with what God would say, then I, I just don't, I don't give that a lot of value. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's a difference in having a loving spirit to hold someone accountable, but there's also, and, and, and I know people that struggle with this, don't have a critical spirit, meaning that you're just critical of every little detail. You, you, you come, you're looking at a minister, you're looking at, at, at a steward, and, and you can't wait to find something wrong with it. I mean, you, you love to be the one that says, well, I just don't think they did that right. Well, see, that's the wrong attitude. If you want to sit here and be listening for God to give you a discernment about a person, hallelujah. Or you want to know Scripture well enough to know that something today really was a big deal, then that's fine. But, but, uh, but don't, don't be apathetic and, and not, not, not say anything uh, uh, that, that might be of concern, meaning that they do everything right. Don't be like that. But also don't be on the other end of the spectrum and be hypercritical. And, and, then, and then he says, you have a place in this, but ultimately we're going to be judged by God. And this is the one I love the most when, when he says the, uh, about self-judgment. He said, he said, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but you know what he says? But I'm delusional. You know, can I tell you the worst judge that we have? Ourselves. Because I tell you what myself tells me most of the time, I like you. I love the way you do things. You're great. Uh, hey, 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 Seth. What do you think? What do you think I should do? I think we should do anything we want. So what what he's saying is, I don't, I can't think of anything that I'm not doing right. But I'm not a good judge of that because let me let me break it to all of us. You are completely delusional about yourself, and that includes me. I'm completely delusional. The way I think other people see me, I couldn't be more wrong. I rarely get that right. So it's important to get feedback from other people. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if y'all have ever, you know, for those of you here that are married, if you ever want to know how you really come across, just ask your wife. She is always ready to help. I, 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 I can tell you there's been times I said, do you, I don't really think I come across filling the blank. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you, you really do. Really? So did I come across? Uh, absolutely. I really felt like I was, no, no, you didn't. No, you, you, no, what, what the, they absolutely are correct. You did come across as whatever. So we're always kind of delusional that none of us really know ourselves. We don't. We do the best we can, and we try not to be. This is what I always say. We're all delusional to some degree. I'm just working on it not being such a high degree. But, but all of us are delusional about ourselves to some degree because it's just impossible to see ourselves as others do. And then he talks about the one that we all should be concerned about, and that is God's judgment. And, and what is, the, what, what is the, one of the main things that God judges us by? I'll, I'll let you think about that for a minute. What's the main thing that he judges us by? If you have your Bible, flip over to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, and let's look at verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. And this is Paul talking about how God judges us. And the writer of Hebrews kind of gives us an idea. Here it comes. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing 
to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, uh, marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, you know what he says. He usually judges us by the word of God, His word. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that we kind of think about. There's so many things if we just knew the word of God, we wouldn't even have to pray about. I just got to pray about whether I should do this or not. Well, really, a lot of these things, the word of God's already told you not to do it. You know, so if the word of God said not to do it, then God's already made, his judgment is in. I think I just need to pray about the, this date I'm trying to have, um, you know, that my wife didn't know about with another woman. It, well, God's already spoken to that. You, you, you don't do that. So he's already judged that. There's no need to pray about that, consider that, wonder about that. I wonder how God feels about that. He, I wonder how God feels about whether I should tithe or not. We need, we need to pray about that. No, you might want to pray about how much you're going to tithe, but there's no need to pray about tithing because God has already said that if you don't tithe, you steal from me. And do anybody think God needs your money? It's about obedience. He doesn't need it. He just wants to know if you'll give it. Uh, and, and so these kind of things you don't have to pray about. You might want to pray about the details of your tithing, but to pray about tithing and giving uh, is, is something you don't have to pray about because God's already spoke to it. So uh, there's, there's many things. And then the next thing he says, so God judges by the, by the word. Hebrews says this. And don't you love when he says that word of God is active and it is, it, it is alive and it cuts and it gets down to the marrow of the bone and really slices and dices and pulls that meat away from the bone, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I feel that way teaching it. I feel that way listening to somebody else teach it. I feel that way reading it. So the next thing he says is God judges by the ministry of the Spirit. Right? You know, I remember that when, when I was lost and I wasn't redeemed, uh, I would perpetually, deliberately sin. You know why? Because I came under no conviction because the ministry of the Spirit wasn't in my life because I was lost. That's why I look back on things and I say, how in the world did I ever methodically go and do those things? And the reason why is I didn't have the ministry of the Spirit. It, it's, it's back to self again. Self, what do you think about this? I'm all in. Because uh, the Spirit's laying over there dead. But once you get the Holy Spirit, you, as we said, you'll still struggle with sin because as long as you're in that fallen state, but you won't continue to sin. You, you'll, I love what Adrian Rogers said. Once you've been redeemed, you make, have a, you'll, you'll, you'll have sin that'll show up, but you'll never be okay with it again. It, it, that, that ministry of the Spirit will come and say, hey, that needs to be corrected. You need to submit that to me. You need, you need to repent of that. And then the third thing is God uses people. That's back to people who just hold you accountable. You know, I've had people come up to me, the people who love me the most. They'll, you know, like I've said this before, and I hope you're willing to say this in your life. If you don't have friends that will tell you you're wrong, then you don't really have friends. I mean, I don't know what you'd call them, but they're not friends. Uh, the, the people who love me the most are the ones that I know when I'm out of line will come and tell me I'm wrong. They love me enough to say, I just got to, and, they'll, and they'll, they'll support it biblically. Uh, they'll say, the way you handled this today on the air, the way you handled that with your wife, the way you handled that parenting, the way you handled that as, 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 uh, as the boss, you didn't handle it right. And here's, here's the scripture that supports that. And I, don't, I can't think of, I can't think of one or two times that they weren't right that I didn't come back and say, I don't know. And I think I'm just throwing the one and two in there because maybe that happened. Uh, most of the time, I got nowhere to go because the kind of friends I have, they're not going to come to you and tell you you're wrong if they don't have the biblical support to do it because they're trying, they follow the things the way the Bible's supposed to be done. So, uh, so Paul's main focus, as I said, when he gets up here to, uh, uh, to verse 5, his main focus is, you guys can try to judge us all you want. I can try to judge myself all we want. But there is going to be a day that I will stand before the judgment seat and Jesus Christ will judge me on the things that I did with the ministry that he gave me. That, that's coming, and I live knowing that's coming. Uh, look, let's go to the book of Romans real quick, the powerful book of Romans. And remember, we think that he wrote the book of Romans while in Corinth. So these, these kind of tie together. Look at Romans 14.10. Romans 14.10. This is Paul again. He says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? And here it comes. For we will all stand 
before the judgment seat of God. You know, he says, look, don't waste so much time judging your brother. Don't waste so much time despising your brother. Trust me, all this is going to be judged by the perfect judge, and that day is coming. Look at the second letter that he writes to Corinthians, to the Corinth, the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians, let's go to 510. 2 Corinthians 510. This may be what we do next, but but I'm, I'm praying through that. So look at 2 Corinthians 510, uh, the, the, the same point that he's making. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or evil. All right, anybody, anybody questioning that we're going to come before the judgment seat? Redeemed and unredeemed. Anybody, anybody questioning that now? So it, it, that day is coming. And Paul is saying, if you really want to live out your life as a minister of the gospel correctly, kind of keep that always at the forefront of your life. Because I think a lot of times, uh, those of us, Rick included, that have become grace abusers, well, I mean, I'm redeemed. I know I'm redeemed. And I made this little mistake here. And I didn't quite do that right. But, you know, and I, I'm sorry about that, God. I shouldn't have done that. There's still going to come a day. Let, let me just say, this is the best way to, to play it. I'm not talking about redemption. But one thing we need to always remember, and we've said this in this Bible study for, for seven and a half years, okay? Sin always matters. There's never a time that sin doesn't matter. It always matters. And, uh, and, and so that, that, because you think about this, what did we, what did we study in, in the Calvary Road years ago? What always stops revival? Sin. There, there's never been a revival in this country that wasn't stopped by sin. How, how does your personal revival always stop? Sin. Did you know that, if you know this, those of you that have younger people, younger people in your life, did you know the word revival, they don't really know what it means? They, they like the idea of a movement. You, oh, you're talking about a movement? A movement of the Spirit? A movement? No, I'm talking about a revival. No, you mean a movement. They like the word movement more than they like revival, the younger people. Have you noticed that yet? Throw the word revival around with younger people. They don't, they don't really know what you're talking about. Uh, but now, but if you if they want to call it the movement of the spirit, I'm fine with that. But it, it's this revered, word revival seems to be getting outdated a little bit. Um, so so let's uh, let's now talk about the personal application of what Paul's talking about. Okay, so in verse five he says, "You are judging God's servant at the wrong time." Look at that. Look at, look at verse five. Be sure if you're going to cast judgment. He says, "So we though many." are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And he's saying, so if, you, if you're going to, you know, take a time to question something that I'm doing, he says, you're choosing the wrong time to do that. The time's going to come when all this is revealed and, and you cannot see man's heart. Only God can do that. Okay. I, I love this one, and, and this there was a cross reference to this when when you know when when God said that He said that in, in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. If you want to write that down, and I think this is such a cool moment. This example in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. Now, those of you that may not know this, this is when Samuel has been told by God, "Go to Jesse's house. Jesse's got a boy that I'm gonna make king." Well, remember, Jesse doesn't even go get David. David's the baby. He's out there watching. Somebody's got to watch the sheep. So what's the first one that he rolls out? Eliab. And let me tell you something. Eliab must have been quite impressive, a physical specimen, because Samuel himself, when Eliab is, is ushered out by Jesse, he goes, surely. Now that's king right there. This has got to be the guy. This is him. Look at him. Jesse knew to go get him first. I'm impressed with him. I want to be his friend. I want to hang around him. I want him to be my king. Look at this guy. And what did God say? That's not him. And then he goes through all the sons, and you know, and he finally goes to, to get David. And why? And, he, and this is what Samuel says. Or God says to Samuel, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord will look on the heart. And let me tell you where the application to Rick Burgess. And I think every... Every man and to uh, women to a degree, y'all don't have as big a problem with this as we do, but, but men, we got a lot of Eliabs, and we got very few Davids. Man, you, we look the part, don't we? 
We, we, we talk about being men of God and, 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 and we, we have all these accolades and all this pedigree and all these things we do and, and we, we put on a show and all this kind of stuff. And, and everybody says, oh, look at this Eliab. Look at this great man of God. And then God's going, I don't see it. And then we've got somebody over here that's mopping up, you know, the fellowship hall after the Wednesday night dinner. We don't, we don't, we don't pay any attention. He's not a big deal. He's not an Eliab. Nobody wants to hang with him. And God's over there with him saying, this is the guy I'm going to use right here. He's got a servant's heart. He doesn't think he's anything. So I don't have to beat all that down. He knows the only thing good about him is me. All these Eliabs, they look impressive, but I know their heart. You see all the stuff, the, the show they're putting on, but I don't. I see their heart. So let's ask ourselves that question today. Are we, are we Eliabs? Do we, do we go around looking good? But deep down, God says, I'm not going to use you. I can't. You look impressive, but I know your heart. That really hit me hard. And look for that in the upcoming message, by the way. Uh, I thought to myself, that'll preach right there. All right, so, so verse 6. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy, that, that's fine, in proportion to our faith. So the next thing he says, let's, let's also don't, don't judge by the wrong standard. You people are, are measuring us against each other, talking about Apollos and Paul. You're measuring us against each other um, by, by your personal preferences. Some of y'all just like to hear a more eloquent speaker, so you like Apollos. Some of y'all like the education and the training that I've had, so you like me. You're judging by the wrong standard. It's not about, yes, Apollos is gifted differently than me. But quit picking preferences, the giftedness that you prefer. You go, somebody say, I'll tell you one thing, I really, and, and, I'm not, and Apollos, he did have some theological problems early on, but Priscilla and Aquila straightened that out, you know, uh, the New Testament power couple. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they got with him and worked on his theology. So I'm not saying that Apollos at this time was all eloquence and very little meat. I'm sure he was solid as rock now. So I'm not saying that. But what Paul is cautioning is sometimes you have a preference to hear an impressive, gifted speaker who doesn't say anything. When really, maybe someone who's not as gifted, uh, a gifted orator but gets in the Word of God and has this thing right and can teach you a lot more, you better understand that this is one body, different body parts, and not one of them is more important than the other. You better go out there instead of just saying, well, this is my personal preference, say, I just want to grow spiritually. However, whoever you want to use, let, let, me, let me listen. He's saying this is not American Idol. You're not voting for which minister that you like the best. And, uh, and, and he said, you're comparing us against each other. And he said, God has told us what to look for. And, uh, and, and he says, so that's what we need to look for. And he says, we, we need to, to, to stop using any other standard for a minister than God's. If we're not using God's standard, he said, we're off the mark. Don't, don't develop your own standard. How many times have you ever heard this about a church? Somebody would start going around these church hoppers, and, and they're always hopping, 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 and they're hopping around. Why? Well, I, did, I just, this is what I like. This, this is what I prefer, as opposed to Lord God Almighty put me where I belong. But I, I'm going to be just completely transparent. I attended a church for over 20 years that a lot of the things there were not my preference. I was there because that's where God told me to be. And I wasn't there just for that church to serve me. I was there to serve that church. And, and he discipled me and grew me, and Sherry and I were, were ministered to, and, we, and we, it wasn't perfect. Everything wasn't done perfect. I haven't found a perfect church anywhere. I've only attended three in my lifetime, but, but none, none of them are perfect. But I, but I will say this. I am trying to go and be part of a church body where God places me, not running around, say, Everybody line up and entertain me because I'm a king and I want to see what all y'all going to do for me here. What are y'all going to do for my kids? What are y'all going to do for me? What about this? What are you going to do for the church? Well, this is not my preference. Well, but you better pray if this is where God wants you. Maybe you go into a church body because he's called you there to be part of it becoming what he's called it to be 
as opposed to going in and being the 80% of takers that just sit in the pew somewhere and say, feed me, feed me, feed me, cater to me, baby me, uh, give us lots of stuff to do. I, bet, I better have some great food here. Uh, I, bet, I better have some, some, some bells and whistles here. Uh, we better have all kinds of programs for the kids. I better be, there better be all kinds of things going on. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying I want a place that's going to disciple my children. Praise God for that. But you know, the bottom line is, Paul's saying you're judging this by the wrong standards. If you're judging a minister, if you're judging a church body, if you're judging any of this on some standard that you've developed, he said, then you're in sin. It better be a standard that God has developed. It better be his standard. You better be, let me tell you, I've been there. There is nothing more miserable than for you to be out of God's will. He'll make you miserable. And, and you know what? He loves you enough to make you miserable. You won't sleep. You'll toss and turn. You won't be able to get settled. And finally, I, I remember one time because I, I was trying to go to a church that was my preference as opposed to the church that God wanted me in. And, and I give my wife credit, and she's certainly not a wallflower. She understands, though, the, 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 the headship of the house. And she said, well, I disagree with you on this. I do not have a good spiritual feeling about us being part of this church. But you're the spiritual leader, and if you think this is a church we're supposed to be in, when they tell us to come forward, let's go to the front. And for three weeks, she'd look at me and go, we going? And I'm like, ah, this ain't, this ain't, doggone it. This is what I want, but it's not what God wants. And then she said, well, then we better get out of here. And it's not an indictment on that place. I saw God use that place and do great things. But it wasn't where he wanted me to be. And then I went back of the, the church where I had been in rebellion and said, well, I don't, I'm not going to be here. It's not my preference. And then I went back, and then I, there was the day that I'm standing there listening, and I said, this is where he wants us. And so I did what he wanted us to do. And we were blessed for it and saw things work, and now I'm at a church body where God said, this is where I want you to go. And I tried to find ways around that too. And God says, this is where I want you to go. And I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again. And now that we've done it, guess what? We look around and go, I see this crystal clear now. And God's like, yeah, maybe I know what I'm doing. Maybe I know what I'm doing. So we we got to drop our own personal preferences, and we better be in line with God. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. He said also the other thing is, so he said, don't, uh, don't, don't, um, uh, don't judge at the wrong time. Don't judge by the wrong standard. And the next thing he said is what? Don't judge by the wrong motive. If you're, if you're doing this to elevate one minister above another, he goes, that's the wrong motive. If you're trying to undermine one of us because of your preference for another, he said that is the, the, the wrong, wrong motive. So what are some things that he says that we should? So, so we, we don't do it at the wrong time. We don't do it with the wrong standard. And we don't do it with the wrong motive. And so he says, here's what you need to be looking for when you look for a minister. And boy, my wife has driven this point home in my life. She's just such a gift to me and her discernment. She has such good spiritual discernment. And the only times I've gotten myself in a bind is when I didn't listen to God speaking through my perfect helper. He says, verse 7, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his own exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. And then look at three, look at verse nine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Somebody underline that. Right now in our society, it's as if this verse was never written by God. Let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We live in a society right now that celebrates what is evil and mocks what is good. And I wonder if we participate or are we trying to be counter to that. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. That means that zeal, that passion for God. Be, be advancing His kingdom. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in your prayer. And then what does he say in, in verse 13? Contribute, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So when we, when we look at, at, at the things that he's saying, can I tell you what? All of these verses, 7 through 13, come under one heading. 
And it's something that I'm telling you, if you want to look for this, look for this, look for this, look for this, and the ministers of the gospel, look for this in your own life, humbleness. We, we, we know that, that God loves the humble and he opposes the proud. All this list that he's listing could be under one heading, humbleness. My wife has told me so many times, do not associate with people that lack humility. They'll always burn you. When you're partnering in ministry, do not partner with people that lack humility. And she says that sooner or later, that's going to burn you. And it has. And it has. And, and then I have to look at my own life and say, do I lack humility? So he says, for us to pray that he would remain humble. And you know what he is saying to us? What is it exactly do you have to be proud about? This, this was an example that I read in one of the commentaries and that he was talking about. He said that there was a pastor that was talking to another pastor and he asked him how he could pray for him. And he said, pray that I would be humble. And the pastor said back to him, what do you have to be proud about? <laughs> Which was the ultimate way to put him in his place. What, what, what concern about humility do you have? What is it you're so proud of? The fact that we even say, please help me to be humble, means that we must think there's something we need to be overly proud about. So I think when we remember that we're wretched sinners that had no hope, uh, I think that kind of starts us off. He said, because an opinion, I love this line, an opinion about one's importance always is bias. We're incredibly biased about our own importance. We're never as important as we think we are. And, uh, and as we've said before, God's will isn't something I have to do. God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. We just heard this past Sunday uh, in the message, our, our pastor's doing a message on Esther. And I love that line, you know, because there's that big line, you know, maybe you've been here for a time such as this. It's an incredible message. But there's a point when Mordecai, who has been living, hiding his Jewness uh, in Babylon, finally has been forced to declare that he is a Jew. And now this means, well, Esther, isn't this Esther, Esther's uncle? I mean, and so this tie-in is about to happen. And, of course, you know he's telling her to go before the king and because of what Haman's doing and all this, if you don't know this historic uh, story in the Bible. And, but I love when Mordecai says to the niece that he loves, you need to do this because she could be killed. But if you don't, God's going to deliver his people anyway. <laughs> this is just something you may get to do. But please don't think that God's totally dependent on you. You can go and do this, and praise God, she did, showed a tremendous amount of courage. But he makes the point, if you decide not to do this, God's already said he's going to deliver his people from captivity. He's going to, with or without you. God's going to advance his kingdom, and he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. That is going to happen with or without Rick. And it's going to happen with or without you. The, the question is, do, do, do you desire for, to, to be in his will and be part of it? And, and he goes on and he talks about this. He says, um, I, I love in verse 7, look what he says in verse 7. If service and are serving the one who teaches in his teaching, he's referencing here, do you remember when John the Baptist said, I must become less and Jesus must become more? I mean, this was John the Baptist. He had his own followers. And, 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 it's, and I love this in, in John 3, 27 and John 30. He says, I love when John the Baptist says this. He says, a man can receive nothing except that it be given to him from heaven. You know what John the Baptist said? The only thing that's any good about me is what I gave, is, has been given to me from heaven. I, I didn't do it. And then he says, so I need to begin to decrease, and now Jesus needs to increase because I'm not worthy to be in this role, but he is. And I'm aware of that. I'm, I'm aware. I, I know how to shut my hole and know my role. And, and, and he has no problem with that. And Jesus refers to him as, as, as there's no man uh, made of a woman that is greater than John. Notice he took himself out of that. Yeah. 
no man that, that normally is conceived and came in this world is greater than John, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven in the church. Because what's the church going to get that, uh, that that's going to be a game changer at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. The power when I go and I put in the triune God, all of our power is, is available to the church. Even the least in the church can do things greater than John the Baptist. The question is, do you desire that? And then look at verse 8. I love this in verse 8. The one who exhorts, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong one right here. Sorry. I was, in the, I was, I was, I was, I was staying back in uh, the book of Romans right then, and I was reading out of it. Um, look what he says in verse 8, and this is, this is great in chapter 4, because um, the point he's making here is, is, is why, why do you feel so full of yourself? Look, look what he says here in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and, and, uh, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. This is sarcasm. When he's talking about all the things that they're saying about them and them picking favorites and all the things they're doing, Paul looks back and just says, well, look at you, man. Y'all really something. Man, aren't y'all something? You've made yourself kings. And you know what he's, he's saying? Hey, guys, there's no room for pride in ministry. Already you have all you want. You know what he's talking about? You know what this reminds me of? The church at Laodicea in the Revelation. The church at Laodicea thought that they were clothed when they were really naked, thought they were clean when they were really dirty, thought they were rich but they were really poor. This is really what Paul is saying to, to, to these people at Corinth that are judging him, judging Apollos, judging these things. He goes, look at you. He, and he's being sarcastic. Well, y'all, you guys have become kings. I wish we could be as sanctimonious and wonderful as y'all are. I know that y'all are a much bigger deal than Apollos and me and Peter. I mean, you guys stand up there. You know, he's really saying, who are y'all to judge us? When did you become so full of yourself? When did you think you got all this authority? What, what, what have you done for the kingdom of God? And he says, I love this in verse 9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. I love that. In the days of Rome... You know, they would have this, you know, the, 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 they loved to entertain. Anytime the people felt downtrodden, they would go to the Colosseum and they would have some big festival, some big day of the games and all this to get everybody kind of get them lifted up again so they could go back and not cause trouble. Well, they did all these things. And then when it became time at the end, when the main events were all over, the, the great athletes and the great fighters and all this, they really would go to the prisons and they bring out a bunch of slaves and the lowest of the low, and they'd throw them out there and let them fight the animals. And this was called the spectacle. This is when they would take people that had no chance against the animals and just watch the animals devour them. And Paul is saying, after talking about, you're all puffed up, you really think a lot of yourself, guess what? We don't think anything of ourselves. He, he said, we now, we, God has exhibited to us the apostles, as, as, as being the last of men, men sentenced to death, and we know that they're all going to be martyred, except for John, and then he gets, of course, set out to Patmos, and they try to kill him. And he says, we are men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, to the angels, and to men. We're the last. We're, we're just being brought out to be slaughtered, and we know it. We're not full of ourselves. We know our whole role here is to advance this kingdom until we are killed, and we'll be killed for it. And we totally get that. No one expected much from the lowest of the low, and they were made a spectacle for the spectators to be mocked and laughed at. Now, does that sound counter to some of the things you hear from ministers? Some of them don't seem to have this attitude at all, do they? They think much of themselves as opposed to Paul, who thought nothing of himself. I know we're just a spectacle. I know we're just here to advance his kingdom. If Paul saw himself as this, and I wrote this down and I underlined it, 
How embarrassing is it for us to see ourselves any other way? that's, That's what I wrote. I just wrote that down. I said, you need to read this. You need to look at this. If the Apostle Paul... And he kind of acted like he was speaking on behalf of all the apostles. We, we, we're men sentenced to death. We're a spectacle. And he goes on to talk about this even more. Look at, look at verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. Somebody underline that. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are, you, you, you're strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. He said, so we're in disrepute. We're looked down upon, and, and you think that you're above us? No, we understand about being weak, but you act like you want to be strong. And this is the one I love. We are fools for Christ's sake. And why, why does he say that? Because Paul himself, if you look at the book of Philippians, what did Paul himself say happened when he encountered Jesus in Acts chapter 9? He said before he encountered Jesus, he could have remained a rabbi. He could have remained in high standing with all the religious leaders, the government. He had money. He had education. And he said that because of him saying, no, I will follow Jesus, I went from being highly respected to being mocked. And people think my choice to follow Jesus was foolish. I become a fool for Jesus. The world sees me as a fool. But I know that if I've gained Christ and I've lost all these things the rest of y'all think are so wonderful, well, then let me be a fool for Christ because I've gained Christ. And he says that the fact that I've gained Christ, I consider all this other stuff to look, that's what looks foolish, that I ever cared about any of that. Do you have that in your life? I do. I think about some of the things that I just was so enamored with and how foolish that seems to me now. And it's good to be a fool for Christ. He says, um, you know what else that he was called a fool for? And we should all be very thankful to the Jewish people. Why? Because he said, I'm going to be a minister to the Gentiles. And they're like, what? Those dogs? You do know if you're a Gentile, we were considered to be like dogs and nasty, undesirable. It's funny when someone who's a Gentile can be bigoted about to, to anybody else if you only knew the way people looked at you. And, and, and Paul said, when, when he had this encounter in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, you know what Paul was ready to hear from Jesus? What do you want me to do? I'll do anything you want me to do. What, what, did, what did God tell Ananias? I don't want to go talk to Paul. He's dangerous. He's killed us. He's jailed us. No, 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 I got Paul ready. And you go tell him about this ministry that I have for him. And what's one of the things that he said that Paul was to be told? All the things that he must suffer for Jesus. And see, the world would say, so you would rather suffer for Jesus than to live in the lavishness of the world? Well, you must be a fool. And Paul says, I'm gladly a fool for Jesus. See, the Corinthians were wise in their own eyes. That's why they have this puffed-up spirit. They're part of this Greek society that loves education and philosophy. And you know what they hated? Manual labor. They really looked down on manual labor. And Paul is saying, you may be wise by the world's standard. He said this back in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians 2. He goes, but I'm willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world to be spiritually wise. And he says to be spiritually wise is to become a fool in the eyes of the world, and you're not willing to do it. Chapter, uh, verse 10, he says, strong men must become weak. You know, Paul always glorified his strengths until he met Jesus. He always talked about his zeal and his standing in the church, but when, when he met Jesus, he realized what he thought were his strengths were actually liabilities. And he talks about this in Philippians 3. He said, I realize all these things I thought were so wonderful made me so strong. Actually, they're the things that that were liabilities to me. How many things, Rick Burgess included, and I'm still learning, how many things have we mistakenly called a blessing 
that's nothing but a distraction. It, it actually distracts us from God. It doesn't bring us closer to God. Some of these things we call blessings are distractions and liabilities. And this is what Paul was talking about. He says in verse 10 through 13, listen, see if you want to sign up for this. Let's look at 11 because I talked about being a fool for Christ. Verse 11, to present, I'm sorry, to this present hour, he said, let me talk about where we are right now. Because remember, he's not there. He sent this letter. To the present hour, see if this is the way you would sell joining the church. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless. And then he says the ultimate to the Corinthians. We labor working with our own hands. <gasps> the Corinthians would have been appalled at this. Manual labor? What is a, what's a minister, what's an apostle doing working manual later? A labor. He says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. You, you probably don't see that on many pamphlets about joining the church. And you know what he's letting them know? This is the life of the follower of Jesus. Even when Paul responded correctly, it says he was despised even more. The disciple of Christ must be willing to work, and he must be willing to suffer. And the one thing, and I love this, this is great. The call on the disciple of Jesus is it is better to be deemed faithful than to be deemed popular. It is better to be deemed faithful than to be deemed popular. You know, Paul did make tents. Remember when he talked about working with his skill set? He even said, I know that a lot of my brothers are being supported by all of you out there. And there were times that Paul received some support. He said, there's nothing wrong with that. You need to support the ministers of the gospel. You should do that. But I'm going to go ahead and make tents and make my own money because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anybody complaining about you had to give money to my ministry, so I'm just going to make my own money. And, uh, and he, he did these things because he said, I, you, you could see how Paul was so devoted to making sure that if you were going to hold something against him, you'd look stupid, he didn't look guilty. Does that make sense? Do we live our lives in such a way that if somebody brought a charge against us and it was the wrong motivation, the first thing that people would do based on the way we lived would be what? To believe us or to believe the accuser? Do you think that you've lived your life where you'd be given the benefit of the doubt? Well, that, Paul said that's how he's going to live his life. So if you come against me, you're the one that looks foolish, not me. Because I'm humble. I'm a hard worker. There's no work that's beneath me. I have a servant's leadership like I learned from Jesus. And you know what? I'll, I'll suffer. I'll do without. I'll thirst. I'll be hungry as long as I continue, what did he say? Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And he's trying to teach this church that what you need to be looking for in ministers above everything is faithfulness, stewardship, humility, uh, the proper handling of the word of God. And it's important that you and they are faithful that's much more important, that they're faithful. There's a lot of people in ministry that are popular, but they're not faithful. And sooner or later, in his time, God always knocks them down, doesn't he? He always does. But he's gracious. He usually gives us time for us to deal with it ourselves. So we're going to stop right there today, and we'll pick back up in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 
uh, coming up next week. So let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this lesson today. Thank you for how it's been applied to our lives and, and also to the lives of the church uh, and to those that, um, uh, that have been called by you to be ministers of the gospel. May we, as, as those that are under their leadership, may we judge them properly through one thing, the way you see them. May we let our personal preferences be destroyed and may our faithfulness be moved uh, to a much higher priority. Faithfulness, handling of the Word of God versus our own personal standards. May we realize that people ultimately will be judged correctly and only correctly by you. But may we also understand that we're delusional about ourselves and we don't do a very good job of being our own judge. Uh, I pray, Lord, for transparency in our lives and for you to be glorified and for us to be refined. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.